It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Dudes to the right, dudes to the left, stuck in the middle with you. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, the team preview series continues. Tonight, we are traveling to Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts, to talk to our good friend. You know him. You love him. You want to tell us a little bit about him? Yeah, we got Dan Rubin back on, friend of the show from bceagles.com. Write stories for the Boston College Athletics Department. He's a friend of the podcast, and he, Joey, and I go way back. So, Dan, what's going on, man? Good to have you on. I feel like I was with you guys back before I had gray hair. The problem is, is now I have a lot of it, and I'm not really. I, I'm in denial of it unless I'm talking about how long I've known you guys. Yeah, well, seven win seasons will do that to you. Um, speaking of which, we're here to preview Boston College. <laughs> wow. <laughs> We're here to preview Boston College here tonight. Uh, the 2019 season, Dan, the, the Eagles coming off yet another 7-5 uh, and five season. Uh, that's seven wins in like five or six straight years, I believe, for Steve Adazio. I, I can't remember exactly, um, and I'm too lazy to look it up. But basically, there's been one year under Steve Adazio where this has been a three-win team, and every other year it's been a seven-win team. And, and really what, uh, what I wanted to ask you and get some perspective on as we look at this coaching staff, they've been in place for a long time. And I, I think you've told us before that there's not a lot of concerns around uh, you know, the, the, maybe the lack of progress. But at some point, do you get the impression that there's any feeling of stagnation or of kind of people getting like they really want to see some change and some improvement at some point from what we've been getting used to? So. So the the short answer is yes and no, um, which which confuses the heck out of everybody when I say it. And 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 I start out by saying that last year's team actually found the most bizarre way to finish seven and five that I think I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, you know, they when you talk about Boston College, you talk about them as a seven win football program. Uh, people you know might forget based off the final record that at one point they were seven and two. It's the middle of the month. And college game days in Chestnut Hill, Boston College is hosting the number one team in the nation with a chance to play for a conference championship. So and in, in that game, Boston College was actually beating Clemson thanks to a, a punt return for a touchdown. There was no way at that point to, to foresee three straight losses and a cancellation due to lightning out in Texas that the bowl game would end the season with a seven and five record. A bowl game in which Boston College actually had the lead. And in my book, they won that game. I, I don't. That, that's my little inside, like, wink, wink, hush, hush joke that they were winning that game when it was canceled. So, therefore, um, it was the fifth inning. It was official. It should have been official. BC gets the win. No, I mean, it's – I mean, the game was over and they had more points. Exactly. Um, you know, but it's fun to talk about that. It's funny to talk about that bowl game. But it, it seems like the most bizarre and most interesting way, I guess, to finish 7-5. and five. So, it is a natural, you know – I don't know, feeling or emotion to look at the record and say, really, they finished seven and five again. Um, and, 
you know, they without looking into the numbers and see that within the seven and five, there were benchmarks that were made achieved that had never been achieved before. So when you're looking at a seven and five record, you really have to look with it and say, look, Boston College made the rankings for the first time in 10 years, then went back to the rankings, then entered the top 20 during that second stint. Desmond Howard chose BC to be Clemson in the cold. And then even though there were three losses at the end of the year, BC carves up uh, Boise State before they, that game gets canceled. So there are benchmarks that were achieved within the record that leads, you know, you're, you can look at it and say, well, they had seven and five record again. Or you can look at it and say, well, that was the next step, even though the record didn't finish the way that they wanted it to. So now what is the next step beyond that? If it's a, a matter of wins, then that's understandable to want more than seven wins. If it's about being competitive and taking the next step and producing more NFL guys and getting the system back into flow, then, you know, it's what happens between now and the end of the year will dictate, did BC meet the next benchmark to last year's seven and five? Yeah, Dan, so seven and five, you lose three straight to end the year. Obviously, the bowl game was what it was with the, uh, you know, with the cancellation due to the lightning storm. But BC goes seven and five again. This seems like a pivotal year, and we'll get into the the team itself in a second, and and what they're bringing back versus what they're losing. Obviously, everybody knows about AJ Dillon, but the coaching staff had some changes too. So, t- talk about the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator changes, and how that could affect this year, and what seems like a pivotal year for Steve Adazio. Yeah, new coordinators. Um, they, they coordinated new coordinators on both sides of the ball. Start offensively is kind of the biggest change. Uh, Mike Bajaki was named the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Uh, Scott Leffler assumes head coaching role, head, as head coaching responsibilities over at Bowling Green. And uh, ironically enough, took a couple of guys uh, and took a and took a couple of guys with him. Uh, took a couple of guys uh, from BC who actually transferred to Bowling Green to stay with him, which is commendable given you know what he was able to accomplish at BC. Um, and so Mike Bajakian comes to BC um, after serving uh, the last few years. He was the quarterbacks coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Got a real good look at uh, at the quarterback position down there and, and, and helped enhance it. Uh, Jameis Winston, I know, uh, you know, for for all I gave him heck out, out at, at Florida State, uh, you know, and, and talked about him in the NFL. He was he's turned into a really good NFL quarterback um, and has turned into a guy who I think set franchise records for Tampa Bay for, for passing. So it'll be really interesting to see how, from an offensive side, Mike Bajikian steps in and doesn't necessarily, you're not going to reinvent the wheel of BC. I don't think that's what anybody wants at the same time, but how he can put his own little spin on the core fundamentals um, of the Boston College offense. On the defensive side, Bill Sheridan um, steps in. He was the linebackers coach, uh, most notably uh, for the uh, – New York Giants during a Super Bowl that as a New England Patriots fan, I will never, I have to actually mention it now, and it actually kills me, Super Bowl 42. Um, he was working under Steve Spagnolo on a game that the Patriots lost, and it has never sat well with me, even though it's, what, 10 years later in three Super Bowls. Gosh, I feel so bad for you. So bad for I you. I know. It's, we could have had two more as Patriots fans. It kills me. The Giants, they did it. Um, but he was also defensive coordinator. He was also an NFL defensive coordinator and health coach at that level. Um, he steps into the defensive coordinator role at BC. Again, I don't think a whole lot's going to change even with him. Uh, the old defensive coordinator, Jim Reed, is still on staff. He's, he's going to remain as the defensive line coach. Um, and it's going to be really interesting uh, with the shakeup there just to see the own little personal spins on it, how they, they put their own little flair on the, 
on the units. I don't think, like I said, core fundamentals probably aren't going to change, but it'll be really fun to watch how uh, how these guys kind of put their own spin or put their own mark on it. Dan, let's talk about that offense. I mean, coming into this year, you bring back probably the top two or three most important pieces. You got quarterback Anthony Brown. You've got, of course, the D train AJ Dillon, uh, leading receiver Kobe White. All those guys coming back. After that, probably have to replace like six of the next seven most important guys in terms of next three most important receivers. You know, some guys on the offensive line. Um, it, it really. It's concerning having to replace all those pieces and try to continue building on what was at times a pretty good offense for Boston College last year. Is there a lot of confidence around the program that they're going to be able to, to do that and continue building? There is. Um, I think that it's, uh, it's fun for me to hear when people say, well, they lost all these offensive linemen. Um, and the offensive linemen, I mean, they lost Chris Lindstrom to the Atlanta Falcons, who is now going to be protecting Matt Ryan, a couple of BC guys heading south. Um, they lost John Baker, who was a center, all these guys who names who would who would become such such forces on the offensive line for BC that it's really interesting for me to see people say, well, they lost all this game experience and without recognizing that there is game experience still on the offensive line. Uh, so you're looking at guys like um, Ben Petrula, for example. Ben Petrula was an offensive lineman. He's a big body. He's 6'5", 300 pounds. And he actually played center his freshman year because Chris Lindstrom stayed at guard when John Baker was knocked out for the year. I think it was 2016. So he's a guy who's playing as a junior. You have a guy like Alec Lindstrom, who's a redshirt sophomore who played last year, played snaps, who's Chris Lindstrom's brother. Same body type. He's maybe a little bit undersized at 6'4", 290, but he can play the center position. You have a guy like Finn Durstein who's 6'5", 305, a redshirt freshman who played a couple of games last year, taking advantage of the, the redshirt rule where he was able to get in, I think, against UMass. You have a guy like a, like a graduate transfer in, uh, in Hayden Mahoney, who I think came up from Miami, if memory serves right. You have a guy like John Phillips, who's been around for what feels like forever. Uh, there are guys who have played on the line. And shout out to Tyler Vrabel, a redshirt freshman whose dad – is the New England Patriots Super Bowl champion and current head coach of the Tennessee Titans, Mike Vrabel. I mean, there's a guy who uh, who's coming up and, and he's got I mean, he's got the pedigree. He knows what's going to be expected of him. And he's 6'5", 310 pounds. So, you know, it's there are a lot of pieces to replace. But at the same time, this is where you have to start trusting the system of guys have left. It's now time for guys who have developed in your system over a year or two to slot in. So they play two or three years. And then guys behind them, same idea, come in, sit for a year or two, get ready, play two or three years. And that's not even touching upon A.J. Dillon, Anthony Brown, who, you know, we could go on for hours about A.J. Dillon and Anthony Brown, who might be, for all we know, one of the best returning quarterbacks in the ACC, given the pieces that have been that have been graduated and departed. Well, let's talk about A.J. Dillon. Right, because he doesn't get nearly enough press, so let's talk about him. I say no, kind of tongue not even a little bit. Yeah, I, I say that kind of <laughs> tongue in cheek because I think a lot of people respect how good AJ Dillon is, but then a lot of people forget about him because he's playing up at Boston College, a perpetual seven and five team under Steve Adazio. So let's talk about AJ Dillon. He's going to be running behind an offensive line that it sounds more like a retool than a rebuild, um, based off of what you're saying here. And what are the expectations for AJ Dillon coming into his junior year? Well, the, the thing about AJ is that, right, last year, so his freshman year was was out of this planet. I think that his ability to 
uh, and and just run over players literally and figuratively. Uh, made him uh, one a, a unique specimen. Sixteen hundred yards his freshman year, fourteen touchdowns. I mean, there's a guy who 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 blew people off the line, and if you tried to tackle, him, it was like. He, he was the human form of Bo Jackson in Tech Mobile, right? You tried to tackle him and you just couldn't do it. Last year, he gets hurt. So against Temple, he, he endures an ankle injury, misses a couple of games, comes back. Is, I wouldn't call it diminished, but you could definitely tell that that was, that was hurting him for most of the year. He wasn't right. He still gains 1,100 yards and 10 touchdowns. So I think the diversification of the offense, the, mature, the maturation of the offense, he's still going to get his touches. I mean, you're still looking at him as a guy – who can who can run the ball 200 plus times to close to 300 times a season he's he's got that wheel that workhorse mentality he's got that size he's got that speed and, and given the importance of this year to him personally um you know he would never mention it he never mentions it he's only focused on this year i really do believe that but everybody knows that aj dillon's name comes up in certain conversations and i think that's warranted for a reason on the flip side how you get A.J. Dillon to a next level is dependent on calling the right plays with the quarterback, spa, spicing it up with some other running backs, guys like Travis Levy, guys like Ben Glines. So it's going to be really fun. It's going to be fun because yeah, that's the only word I can come up with because you're still going to see B.C. line up 13 personnel, one running back, three tight ends, and watch A.J. Dillon go off tackle and off guard and, and run outside. But you're going to have other weapons in there that if you say, all right, AJ, um, you know, you're, we're going to give you a rest on third and six. We don't have to run it up the middle, but sometimes you can run it up the middle. There's a lot of different weapons in there. So AJ Dillon might toil away in some obscurity because of, uh, because of the, the guys like Atua or a, uh, or a Trevor Lawrence or, or guys who, who have been on teams that win 11, 12 games uh, over the last couple of years. But at the same time, this is a guy who has 2,600 yards, 2,700 yards in two seasons. Um, that's not something that anybody wants to take lightly at any point in, time in his college career. Dan, I mentioned him earlier, but I kind of want to go back to him here real quick. Um, one of the guys that came into last year and that there seemed to be quite a bit of, I'll at least say local hype around, was Anthony Brown. Um, he, you know, people thought he was pretty good as a freshman in 2017 and then coming into 2018 thought he was really going to have a breakout year. And what resulted was a year where he completed a little over 55% of his passes and, and had 20 touchdowns to nine interceptions with a majority of, of the positive coming after a, a couple of games that he played against the absolute worst defenses on the schedule, um, including Wake Forest early last year. I mean, it, it seems like that, that that development was not at least to the level that maybe we were hoping for or thinking it was going to be. And Mike and I have talked on this podcast quite a bit that introducing a credible, real, consistent passing threat is a complete game changer for Boston College's offense at this point. Do we have reason to believe going into this year that he is going to show show that next level of development and take that next step to where Boston College can have a pretty credible passing threat and, uh, and, and really open up that run game more than just making it into a sledgehammer and hoping that A.J. Dillon and the offensive line is still stronger than the other team? Well, it, it, and, and Anthony Brown is probably the best case study I think I've ever used for a guy whose expectations uh, sometimes overshadow uh, some of what he's been able to do when you talk about uh, some of the players that he's played against and some of the games that he's had. So Anthony Brown, full disclosure, did not play really as Holy Cross last year, which when people are like, well, he, yeah, he had 20 touchdowns, but BC dropped 60-odd points against Holy Cross. 
Well, he didn't actually play in that game. So he did play against UMass and he did play against Wake Forest, but you'd have to take out some of the, the major BC massive offensive blowouts. And, and he had to win games against other teams. So when you talk about his passing touchdowns and you talk about how he performed, I, I don't know what reasonable expectations are out of, out of anybody because he threw 20 touchdowns last year. And when you talk about the guys who have thrown 20 touchdowns at Boston College, the list is exceptionally short. It's Glenn Foley, who did it twice in the 1990s. It's Brian St. Pierre, who went on to play for the Carolina Panthers uh, once or twice. Uh, he, he, had, he had 25 in 2001. And it's Doug Flutie and Matt Ryan. So Matt, Anthony Brown's the fifth Boston College quarterback, as long as BC has been playing college football, to throw for 20 touchdowns. In terms of yardage, uh, in terms of yards per season or, or yardage per career, in two years, his freshman and sophomore year, he's already thrown for 2,100 yards. Uh, he threw for 2,100 yards rather, rather last season. His career touchdown numbers are going to start approaching guys like Brian St. Pierre, Chase Reddick, Matt Ryan. And that's if he throws another 20 touchdowns this year, he's going to have one year left with a chance to go after Matt Ryan, pass Matt Ryan, and maybe go after Doug Flutie in the record books. I mean, when you're talking about a guy, yeah, Doug Flutie was in the 1980s, Anthony Brown's in the 2010s, but the fact that his name is going to wind up in the record books among those guys, that's some pretty lofty company. So am I saying he's better than Doug Flutie or Matt Ryan? No, uh, I, I wouldn't say that he has. He has. He, he's definitely not right now. Um, but the numbers that he has put up have been very good. So within those numbers, because I like looking within those numbers, right? Like I was just saying that about the wins and losses. He has to prove a next step, which is making more consistent plays, which is getting a little bit more consistent with delivery of the ball, which is, you know, not necessarily it, – it, it, sometimes it's better to, to lose the battle and win the war type of thing where you're scrambling to the right and you can still make that pass and complete the pass, but you're going to take the hit. Maybe it's about getting rid of the ball and saving himself on one play or stepping up into the pocket versus scrambling. I don't know. Uh, that, that's that's what I want to ask the coaches at media day. Like, what's the next logical level for, for Anthony Brown? Uh, but at the same time, this is a guy who can throw downfield, throws the tight spirals, makes it look really beautiful when he when he gets the time to do it, and has been robbed at times by his own body. So you're, you're talking about a guy who can do all of this and has dealt with the injury bug, was healthy last year after he got knocked out for the season two years ago. Last year got injured against Clemson and really wasn't right down that three-game losing stretch down the stretch uh, in the Syracuse game or the Florida State game. Um, and when I say he wasn't right, there's just something that looked off. He was banged up, I know, and, you know, whatever the next step is for him. So, you know, this is a guy who I think deals with expectations um, that everybody just wants to say, well, well, he should be doing X, Y, and Z. And I don't know what X, Y, and Z should be for him based on what people have been saying because he's already achieved a lot of good statistics. Now, is that the same against a guy like Trevor Lawrence? Well, no. Or a guy like Ryan Finley? Well, no. But Ryan Finley's gone, and Trevor Lawrence is Trevor Lawrence. So when you're looking at returning quarterbacks in the ACC, I have no problem saying Anthony Brown is probably in the top tier of guys who are returning in the ACC right now because the cupboard's bare and, 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 uh, of returnees. And he's one of the few guys here who, who we have a statistical break, breakdown to walk on. Yeah, he's certainly talented. I think Boston College has come a long way at the quarterback position from what essentially felt like a long haul of, I wouldn't say lack of talent, but 
the cupboard was seemed a bit bare after Matt. It Ryan was bare. Wow. Um, it was bare. Yeah. So Anthony Brown coming into his own um, and being a guy who can climb the BC record books is huge. Um, who's he going to throw to? There's a lot of receivers that are gone. Um, you're losing depth there from playmakers on the outside. And I guess that's the next logical question. It's if somebody stops AJ Dillon, then who's Anthony Brown throwing to on the outside? Well, first, you, you still got Kobe White, right? Kobe White, um, BC at one point was one of the only teams in in history years. I don't remember what the years were that had its leading passer, rusher, and uh, wide receivers all freshmen two years ago. Brown, Dylan, White. So Kobe White's back. He's a redshirt junior. He, he's going to take – he has to take the next step because he's the, the next logical guy to do it. But you look at some of the other guys that are there. They have a big body and a guy like uh, – like I know uh, they have a bunch of six, two receivers. I'm trying to remember names off the top of my head. And I just don't, I, I just can't pick them up. Uh, ben Glines was a wide receiver who became a running back. He's a Swiss army knife type guy. Uh, you're not going to look at anybody on there and say, well, Ben Glines is not Ben Glines is, is the college Julian Edelman is a college West Welker. He's the guy who's going to give up his body for five yards. And, and I, at the beginning of his career, I looked at Ben Glines and I said, this is a guy who I don't think is going to be, he's not good enough to play you know, number one wide receiver. That's what I said his freshman year. And then he turned out that he could make possession catches. So what do I know? Then you, they move him to running back and you say, well, he's not A.J. Dillon. But then A.J. Dillon gets hurt and he runs for 100 yards. So what do I know? There's a guy who gives up his body who will do anything, return kicks. He he, he will kill for five yards. And, and I think that's that adds something to your team. And then you're looking at tight ends from tight end play, um, you know, guys like, uh, Jake Burt, Cor Abadrizi, Ray Martin plays a lot of fullback type position. They're not Tommy Sweeney, but they are guys who can catch passes. Guys like Hunter Long, who's a very long, uh, pardon the pun on his last name, long wide receiver at six foot five with speed. I remember watching him during the during the uh, the scrimmages last year, and he would catch a pass over the middle and take off a field. So. There are guys there. You add a transfer in Danny Dalton, who was once a BC commit, who wound up going to Penn State for a few years. He's a graduate transfer. Kid from Marshfield, Massachusetts, up there in the South Shore. Uh, as a North Shore guy, it kills me to say something nice about the South Shore, right? But I love the fact that Danny Dalton's on this team. And and I think that there are a lot of guys who are going to surprise. And and then somewhere in there, you're going to find a wide receiver, whether it's a young guy like a Jelani Galloway or a Noah Jordan-Williams or a Christian McStravick who's a redshirt junior. Somebody is going to step up and start catching passes because out of necessity, somebody else has to start catching passes with Jeff Smith gone and, and everybody else who is left like Tommy Sweeney. Dan, you brought up the fact that uh, Boston College get, gets a new defensive coordinator this year and, and uh, Bill Sheridan. He comes in and he, I guess there, there's kind of some pluses and minuses here in that he he's losing a bunch of uh, a bunch of more experienced players, a lot of guys to replace on this defense coming in. But the good news, I guess, is that you get some more moldable minds, I guess to say. Um, but I mean, there is a a ton of production to replace here on this defense this year. Is is the long and short of it? Tell me why I shouldn't be worried about that. Well, because they they just find a way in the system, right? They they've had to do this before. They they've had they had to do this off that defense in 2015. They had to replace guys. They had to replace guys after 2016. It was well, Harold Landry's gone. How does Zach Allen step in? Now it's Zach Allen's gone. How does you know player X become the guy? Tanner Carafa is the first name that comes to mind. He's a defensive tackle slash 
defensive end guy. He can play defensive line. He played tackle next to Ray Smith last year, who I say it in every every podcast or interview I do. Ray Smith, favorite defensive nose guard of all time. Under Armour, made the shirts. He, for whatever reason, never had a shirt that fit him. It was all belly all the time. It was an old-fashioned nose guard. <laughs> My favorite football player. And he had a sense of humor to boot. Um, also, the only guy I saw do a cartwheel when he was a nose guard. So uh, that's, 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 that's the type of guy you're losing. But you replace them with guys like Tanner Carafa, who played last year, who's 6'3", 285. You have guys like TJ Ryan, who's a junior now, 6'1", 300, to play that interior line. Jaleel Berry, redshirt sophomore. Guys like that. Kiev Bennerman, who's a, a redshirt freshman. Names that we'll eventually get to know. Linebackers, yeah, it really hurts to lose a guy like Connor Strahan, who got his re- medical redshirt last year and, and was, you know, one of those guys, the, you know, Captain America type linebackers that BC's always been known for. But you still have a deep linebacking core. Guys like Max Fredrickson, John Lamont, Isaiah McDuffie. Those are all names that people are going to want to be very, very aware of. Hugh Davis, Vinny De Palma, younger guys. Uh, Shita Sila um, is a is a freshman who's who came in from Mater D Prep, who's probably going to be more of a future project, but is six foot five, two hundred and twenty pounds. So front seven, you have to replace a lot. But again, like I said about the offensive line, trust the system. The next guy up, next man in, there's a lot involved with it where you look at a guy and say, all right, these guys are gone. How are we going to replace them? We're going to replace them with the guys that we have. Brandon Barlow, Bryce Morace, you know, guys like that and say just names. Joey Lucchetti, who's a 6'6 defensive end, who, who probably needs to gain a little bit of mass to him, too. These are all guys who are eventually going to, to be the man. And are they going to take a step back? Well, I think in some ways probably because you, it's, it's virtually impossible to replace a Zach Allen or, uh, you know, a, 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 a Wyatt Ray is the name I can't remember all the time. Um, it's always hard to replace those guys, but eventually you have to. And that goes double for the secondary, too, just to continue my rant and rambling here. You lose Will Harris. You lose, uh, you know, Tajamir Torres. You lose Lucas Dennis, who I've been watching since his freshman year of high school. Um, you you lose Lucas Dennis, by the way, who had an interception of uh, of uh, Blaine Gabbert in training camp this week. So go, go Lucas uh, as, a, as a BC guy. Uh, but you, you're replacing him with guys like Mike Palmer, like Tate Haynes, Brandon Sebastian played last year as a redshirt freshman, Jason Matry. These are all guys who have to take the next step, and and we hope will. I mean, and I say we because everybody hopes for that, that you can just replace the guys and they take the next step in the no-fly zone defense with its interceptions and its pass breakups and yada, yada, yada. All happens, and I, I hope that wasn't as long-winded as I'm sure it's coming across. I think Blaine Gabbard just got intercepted again during that answer. Uh, yeah, he probably yeah. did. <laughs> um, talk a little bit, and this is this is kind of a little change of topic here. So we're not used to seeing Boston College score 32 points per game, right? And that's what they did last year. And we're used to talking about Boston College in the context of having a top five or ten defense in the country. And I think a lot of people still look at Boston College in that sense because they had so much success the last – I don't know, three, four years leading up to last season where they were this unbelievable defense. Nobody could score on them, but consequently they couldn't score on anybody else. So you get seven and five that way. Well, you get seven and five this way now where you're scoring, you know, 32 points per game. You're a top 40 offense nationally and your defense takes a step back. You got the 55th ranked scoring defense last year, 70th in total defense. Now you're losing eight or nine guys off of that defense what kind of identity should we expect out of Boston colleges here? Because you're losing a lot on offense, but you're also losing a lot on defense. 
And and on top of that, I guess I would throw out there that the average is comes out based off of again looking within the numbers. And and when I look at the numbers, I, I go back when they were three and zero and ranked twentieth in the country or twenty third in the country or whatever it was against Purdue. They had a bad game. They lost thirty to thirteen out at Purdue. It was a bad game. I mean, you 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 have to avoid that, you know, to have to achieve your balance. Um, when you talk about Boston College scoring thirty two points per game, they had a very good game. They 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 beat UMass, Holy Cross, and Wake Forest with a minimum of forty points. They beat Louisville with thirty eight points. They they scored thirty points at Virginia Tech. But on the other extreme, you only score seven against Clemson. At first glance, that's what you're saying. Well, within that. They lost the quarterback against Clemson, and EJ Perry came in and could not do anything against Clemson in that game because it was just you know Clemson's defense. I mean, it was going to have a hard you were going to have a hard time going against Clemson's defense with without a number one running back healthy, fully healthy, and now you're doing it without your number one quarterback. I mean, you're 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 behind the eight ball before the before the game even starts. So you go back to those games and you say, well. What are we going to expect? I think the the goal is balance. You got to be able, if you're going to be a 25 to 30 point a game offense, you have to be able to balance that out with, if you're going to score 30, you have to just be able to put more points out. If you're going to give up 20 points, you have to be able to score 24. If you're going to have, if your defense is going to show up, you have to be able to score enough points on offense. So it's all about balance and balancing that out. You have to avoid those swings where you can score 45 points against Temple without A.J. Dillon, beat Temple by 10, but you lose 22-21 at Florida State and you lose 42-21 at Syracuse, against Syracuse. So I would like to think that Boston College's balance is going to change the way people look at them, where you can say, yeah, they may, have, they may only have the 50th ranked defense, but they scored the right points and gave up the right points at the right time to be competitive. It's it's really hard to kind of explain it. It's 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 more or less like you have to know when you're going into a game against BC, you're going to have to earn everything that happens. You're going to have to earn every yard. You're going to have to earn every point. But then by the same token, they're going to earn points against you. They're going to take what they can get. They're going to take what they can do. And at the end of the day, let the chips fall where they, where they do. And, and I think that when you look at what Steve Adazio has said, that the difference between a seven-win team and a nine-win team really isn't that much of a difference. You just need a little bit of good fortune, and you need the break to go the right way. It's about turning that break the right way. It's about forcing the, the good fortune to go your way that I think will be the difference should BC achieve what is the next plateau, whatever that is within the win-loss record. You know, Dan, in his time at Georgia Tech, Paul Johnson said very similar things a number of times that the difference between like a, a six-win team and a nine-win team is, is pretty small. It's, it's a small handful of plays over a few games. Um, you know, I can think of the, the three and nine season that Georgia Tech had in 2015, and it was like a couple bounces here or there, like a couple penalties do or don't get called, and like that's a seven or eight-win team, right? It was razor thin between three and nine and like eight and four, honestly. Um, plus had a bunch of cluster injuries thrown into, which didn't help, but um, wanted to move on to the schedule. And, and again, we talked about breaks kind of mattering. I mean, that's part of this, right? Is how conducive is the schedule to enabling wins? We talk about can Boston college get past that seven win plateau. That's kind of been there for a number of years. The schedule is not, not the easiest thing. There's, this is fairly tricky in a lot of ways. 
Um, opening up first weekend of the year on the ACC Network, uh, 4 o'clock, uh, at getting Virginia Tech at home. Um, that's quite the tone setter for the year. And then three out-of-conference games, Richmond, Kansas, and then at Rutgers. Um, for three out-of-conference games that they don't really have a whole lot of power over scheduling, I mean, those are those are three good wins to have built in. Now, the, the caveat or the kicker there is that the fourth non-conference game, the week before Thanksgiving at Notre Dame, um, that'll be a fun trip, but it'll be a, a tough game to win. I, I mean, as far as out of conference goes, that, that looks that screams three and one to me. I don't think it gets much better than three and one. I, you better hope it's not worse than three and one. Yep, and uh, you know I'll throw out there that BC hasn't beat. I'll readily admit this: BC has not beaten Notre Dame since two thousand eight, um, and that was on the string back end of I think six or six in a row and seven out of eight, uh, dating back to the beginning of the century. Uh, when they used to play annually, and, and they don't play annually anymore. They try to play as often as possible. And I think the equalizer in that game, and I and I readily will say this, is the fact that it is Notre Dame. Uh, Boston College, Notre Dame has historically been a very tight game, even in the losses. 2009, you only lose by four. 2011, you lose by two. 2015, 2015 the, the year that was supposed to be you know, the, the year that everybody tries to not pay attention to for obvious reasons, you lost by three at Fenway Park to a number four Notre Dame team, I, I believe. They, at least I think they were, mm-hmm. they were ranked that high. Then, you know, there are a couple of tough losses in there, but you've always played Notre Dame tough. So that's not a game I think people can take lightly at any stretch just because Notre Dame went to the playoff last year and Notre Dame is Notre Dame because the Holy War is a huge deal at Boston College. And, it, and, it, and I believe it is a huge deal at Notre Dame, where it might not have been a huge deal 25 years ago in the 90s. Um, but it is a huge deal to Boston College and the ability to go out to Notre Dame and potentially beat the Irish on their turf is something that will resonate, especially late in the season, and especially if there's a lot riding on that game for either team. I'm sitting over here talking on mute. I figured that probably wasn't good. Um, <laughs> so the uh, and, and Joey Joey spoke about this a second ago. Boston College opens up the year with my Virginia Tech Hokies fan. It is a home game. It is arguably one of the biggest games of the year uh, on the schedule when evaluating BC through the lens of okay, either getting back to seven and five, doing a little bit better than that, or simply making a bowl game. We don't really know what to make with all these losses on either side of the ball, but. That opener against Virginia Tech seems huge, and and if to, to BC's credit, they're pumped up about it. I mean, they, they that media day, we're all talking about the the goal right now and the focus right now is just a one and zero, and that was the focus they used last year where they were just talking about well, we're trying to be one and zero in the week. We have twelve seasons and twelve individual one game seasons, so I, I I'm very interested to see what happens there. Uh, we we both know on both sides of the ball that the Boston College Virginia Tech rivalry has been. Uh, a little one-sided since uh, since the Matt Ryan days. I have no problem kind of admitting that. I mean, Virginia Tech won something like, what, 7 of 8 or 7 out of 10. or They, they won a lot. Um, and they had a couple of blowouts in there too. But it's the first game of the season. Teams don't really have their full identity yet uh, for what they're going to be this season. It's just more of a we don't know what we're basing. We have to go out and base it st- strictly on practice. And I feel like that's the great equalizer especially given that it's going to be at home for Boston College. I just wish that 
somehow, you know, Labor Day weekend, we could get some snow up here. Though I think the Blacksburg, uh, the Blacksburg folk are actually would, would be fine with the cold. Uh, I think it gets pretty cold out in the mountains, but they have uh, there. You don't have to worry about the altitude where you won. It's there's where they won last year, BC. So I think it's going to be, um, I think it's going to be a battle. I think it's going to be a lot. The first quarter might not be the prettiest first quarter of football anybody's ever seen as the teams kind of feel their way out. But at the same time, BC, with all of its returning weapons, needs to get ahead and needs to build that lead against that team to get started. That's not an easy game to start the year with by any stretch. To me, Dan, looking at the schedule, there's there's one really big positive and there's one pretty big negative here. The positive is that if you look at a set of games that you would call maybe swing games, games that make the difference between a, a four-win season and an eight-win season, that's Virginia Tech, Wake Forest, NC State, Florida State, Pittsburgh. Of those five games that I listed, four of them at home. That's that's the good yep. news, right? And that helps to have those those really kind of key swing games at home. The bad news is that Honestly, it feels like you might need to get all your winning out of the way in the first seven games of the year because the last five games at Clemson, at Syracuse, home against Florida State, at Notre Dame, at Pittsburgh. So only one home game there in the last five and, and some pretty rough waters to, to have to try to navigate there. I, I look at this. I, I'm looking to make a record prediction. Um, I, I guess I got to go seven and five. Well, that, that'd I guess be, that's the thing to do. That'd be popular, right? That'd be the popular thing to say to just say, well, BC can go 7-5 and five and go to a bowl game. Right? They'll go to the Fenway Bowl. <laughs> They'll go to the bowl game that's at Fenway Park this year. Um, actually, I wouldn't mind that because travel would be – traveling to the bowl game would actually be very easy to convince my wife to say I can go to the game because for obvious reasons. That's the only selfish reason. That and because I wouldn't mind seeing a Boston team actually win a game at Fenway Park this year. Um, ha- shout out. Shout out my Boston Red Sox, who I have seen lose five times this year, including one in Baltimore. Um, <laughs> How many more till you get a refund? Oh, it's tough. It's not pretty being a Red Sox fan. At times, I did not. Oh, gosh. Can we not? <laughs> can we not? Mike, you're a Sox fan with me, right? <laughs> I, I don't hate it. <laughs> oh, oh, I have to sit around and wait until the Patriots unveil their banner. Oh. Uh, anyways. <laughs> I will turn this car around and we will go home, um, Daniel. Uh, no, I, I think there's some validity to what you guys are saying. With uh, in, in regards to the start and finish of the season, look if you're if if you're looking to build momentum, right? You can't beat Clemson in October unless you're playing well. Uh, I mean, save for that year that Syracuse did it when they were what a three or four win team and knocked them off inexplicably. Uh, but that was a that was a, a feature that was a preview of coming attractions out of Syracuse. Uh, so I think when you look at Boston College and you look at the beginning of the season, you got to get out on the right foot because you don't want to go into that last stretch limping along and saying, "Well, they're fighting it and they're fighting it and they're fighting it." If you're trying to be the difference between a seven-win team and an eight-win or nine-win team. Now that said, you know, like I've said before, wins and losses are the be-all end-all. But by the same token, if you lose to Virginia Tech, Clemson, Florida State, Notre Dame, and we'll throw NC State in there just for fun by a combined 13 points, and I don't even know if that's mathematically possible, um, you know, can you really look at the team and be like, well, they had a bad season. They lost all those games by a field goal or one possession. I mean, it's really it's it's too hypothetical to look ahead and say anything, but so I think the key has to be to beat Virginia Tech in game one. I think the start, and before you can look at Clemson, you have to beat Virginia Tech. 
before you can look at Clemson, you have to beat Virginia Tech. And before you can look at Richmond, you have to beat Virginia Tech. So I think all the, the energy is there. And then you start looking ahead for, for our sake and look at the, the first half to the last half of the season and say, before you can ever get into that brutal stretch, and, and we look at it at the beginning and say it's brutal, but Syracuse is replacing a quarterback. Florida State had its issues last year, and they have to come to Boston in November for the Red Bandana game. Clemson is Clemson. Notre Dame, we don't know what Notre Dame is going to be at the end of the year, and we don't know what Pittsburgh is going to be at the end of the year because, you know, Pittsburgh last year, I think, won the division with, what, a 7-7 over 7-5, and so whatever it was overall record. So it's really hard to look ahead at that four out of five game stretch on the road without first looking at the beginning and saying, you got to get out on the right foot against Virginia Tech. And, and for the record, I don't think Kansas is that much of a walkthrough. They've got a new head coach there in Les Miles. I don't think Rutgers is, is a walkthrough despite their problems by any stretch. Uh, Rutgers playing them on the road in New Jersey. It's an old big rivalry. It's a team that, yeah, only won one game last year and, and had its problems um, big time and stopping the ball. But, you know, it's, Weird things can happen when you're looking at a guy in his fourth season who's replacing his coordinators or maybe getting things going. So, you know, it's it's really hard for me to look at the schedule and, and count any team out and by any stretch of the imagination at any week at any time, especially in the ACC. Dan, I know Boston College cuts you checks for the work that you do, so you can't make a record prediction. So we appreciate you talking about the schedule the way that you did and giving us the pros and cons. Joey says seven and five. I'm looking at the schedule. I'll give my official prediction now. Um, this feels like six and six. And the reason why it feels like six and six to me is because of that stretch. You got you know four out of the final five on the road. Um, I do think Boston College will navigate their non-conference schedule. I think there's certainly a possibility to pull a couple of upsets. I don't think Clemson is one of them, but I think certainly you can pull off that Notre Dame upset. It's been done before, albeit not in a long time. Um, and I think if you pull off an upset here or there, you beat Virginia Tech and win a very important conference game at the beginning of the year. I think seven or eight wins is definitely not out of the cards. I think the absolute ceiling here would be nine wins, and that's absolutely everything goes right. Um I'm feeling six and six here. I think there are too many losses on the defensive side of the ball. And on the offensive line, it's good that they got rotation guys back. And you have A.J. Dillon, obviously, which which goes a very long way. But you're replacing a lot of playmakers on the outside. I, it just feels like six and six, guys. I don't I don't know what else to say. But this is Boston College. This is Steve Adazio. So the infamous seven and five is definitely on the table as well. For what it's worth, I think if you're, I think what we're saying here, Mike, is that they're going to win four games against Richmond, Kansas, Rutgers, and Louisville. Rutgers and Louisville on the road, probably going to lose games against Clemson, Notre Dame, and we'll say at Syracuse. We've not been giving out a whole lot of wins against Syracuse this year. So in those remaining five games, home against Virginia Tech, home against Wake Forest, home against NC State, home against Florida State at Pittsburgh, BC needs to go two and three to hit a bowl game three and two to make that seven and five number. I, I mean, it seems doable to go three and two in that stretch. Um, I, I will say the, uh, the Vegas win total here, Mike, you got any guesses? Five and a half, six and a half. And if you actually, if you, if you believe that Boston college is going to win six, seven games, the over is plus plus one forty. So you get some pretty good juice on that. If you, uh, if you want to get invested up to you. Well, 
<laughs> Probably leave that one alone. Um, yeah, maybe. Maybe just leave it alone. Six and a half sounds damn right either direction. Um, that's You could say you feel like you're uh, stuck in the middle on that That's one. right on the nose. And Dan wants to give an answer so bad and just can't. <laughs> and you know what? Your employer would be very proud of you, Dan, uh, for your strength. Hey, my, I tell you what. I have a, One of the greatest things about about uh, about working with BC has been, for me, the uh, the ability to, to talk to some of these players and talk to some of these coaches. And maybe it's clouded my glasses to say that I'm wearing uh, maroon, maroon and gold colored glasses. But I will say this, and this will be my argument for it, and that is last year they did a lot. Last year they had a record number of pro prospects go to the combine. They had a first-round pick. They had the same number of draft picks. And I'm, I'm picking this right from an article that I wrote, which said more same number of draft picks as NC State, Oregon, Wisconsin, and Iowa, more picks than LSU, South Carolina, Texas Christian, and Florida State. And the message from Steve Adazio was, we did a lot last year. Let's do more this year. And, and I went into his quote, when is the schedule? Five bowl games in six years. We're proud of it because of the competitiveness of the division. It's a formidable task. It is 100% a formidable task given the division. The next step, this is Steve Adazio. I'm a simple person. So to win eight, nine, then 10, those are the next steps. And then, again, the difference between a six-win and a nine-win season really isn't that great. So good fortune and good luck to my beloved Boston College Eagles. The more people who say it can't be done makes me want to say, it can, and hopefully it will. Well, there you have it. Uh, Dan, full, uh, full disclosure here, I am out of time. i got to run. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on. This has been incredibly informative, as always. It is always a treat having you on. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to join us. Uh, do you want to tell the people real quick where they can find your stuff? Uh, BCEagles.com. Uh, it's the athletic department website, which you guys have, you know, lovingly alluded to um it, it's the section called eagles unlimited you can follow on twitter at bc dan rubin cover more than just football there and, and like i always say it's great to get out and talk to the athletes and, and the coaches of some other sports too and get to fill you guys in on on every, or fill everyone in on some stories from the athletic department that sometimes don't get spoken I, I think that there's a there's a lot of great stories and a lot of great athletes and i'm really privileged and, and i love the fact that i get to get to talk to them well, thank you so much for joining us. We'll certainly look to have you on again soon, uh, I'm, I'm sure, as we uh, look to see how this, uh, how this season unfolds for Boston College. And once again, we might know a whole lot about it by uh, like mid-October or so. All right, Mike, I think that's all I got for Dan. Uh, we got to get out of here. Thank you so much for uh, coming on with us, Dan, and uh, we look, to look forward to talking to you again soon. Um, Mike, we do got to get out. We got to go preview some more teams, but in the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel CFB and together we're at BC podcast ACC. And once again, you can go find Dan on Twitter at BC Dan Rubin, uh, for all, all of his BC coverage. He does a great job there. So go check him out. If you uh, are not currently following him, um, you can find us in a lot of places, Mike, we are on the, uh, <laughs> we're on the anchor platform. Uh, and that means that we are on iTunes, we're on Google podcasts, we're on Spotify. We are on breaker stitcher, lots of different places. Uh, so go find us on anchor or one of, uh, one of those fine places where podcasts are sold for free. Uh, and Mike, you can also, they can also send us questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Yes, sir. And you want to tell them where they can find us on social media? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball converts rate review. Find all of your podcasts there, Joey. Please do. Please do. Uh, Mike, that's all I got. Anything else before we get out of here? Nah, man. On to the next preview. I was hoping you were going to say no. I got to go. Uh, you want to come back and preview some more teams? Yeah, man, for sure. Let's do it.
All right. Until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, Mr. Dan Rubin, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.